if somebody tells me I was wrong, I go over it because maybe they're wrong about me being wrong. Like somebody said to me once, a nice, a very, a very nice uh, nun, a woman religious, said to me, Bob, you sound as though you think you're infallible. And I said, no, 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 I'm not infallible at all, I'm just in charge. My name's Andrew Lee, and welcome to The Good Life, a politics-free podcast about living a happy, healthy and ethical life. In this podcast, we seek out wise men and women who have lessons to teach us about living life to the full, with humour, pleasure, meaning and love. We'll chat with musicians and athletes, CEOs and carers, about making the most of this one precious life. If you like this podcast, please take a moment to tell your friends or rate us on Apple Podcasts. Now, sit back and enjoy the conversation. Father Bob Maguire is one of Australia's best-known priests. But to call him a priest is a bit like calling Nick Cave a guitarist. It's true, but it doesn't quite capture the breadth of the man. Born in 1934 in Thornbury, Victoria, Bob Maguire worked as a beekeeper and an army officer before becoming parish priest for St Peter and Paul's Church in South Melbourne from 1973 to 2012. In that role... Father Bob campaigned on social justice issues, particularly homelessness, engaged with the community through radio shows on 3AW and Triple J, and frequently clashed with the government and church authorities. I got to know Father Bob in 2013, when he kindly joined me for an in-conversation event about my new book on inequality, Battlers and Billionaires. I quickly learned why a thousand people came to his final church service. He's incisive, amusing and passionate. Father Bob Maguire's brand of Catholicism isn't that of Daniel Mannix and Bob Santa Maria, and certainly not prosperity gospel. His is a form of social justice Catholicism, Larrikin Catholicism, in the vein of Australian Catholic leaders of of the past, like Peter Kennedy, Bill Morris and Naples priest Mario Borello. It means reaching out to the local community through his Bob Squad and his Bob Mobiles. Bob's work over the years brought him multiple awards, including Victorian of the Year, and he's recently had a documentary made about his life in Bob We Trust. He's a passionate Collingwood supporter, and it's a pleasure to have him on the podcast today. Bob, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Andrew. Now, let's start at the beginning. You had a tough childhood oh, your yeah. uh, father as as you've said was violent towards your mother and, mm. and towards you uh, growing up in an environment like that what did you see that was good in your father oh, it's taken me all this time I haven't finished yet you see I'm trying to uh, redeem my father Um, I told a bloke that about five years ago, cousin Francis Maguire, who came all the way on his own, very old he was, he was 85, 6. But he came here to visit uh, me and another Maguire in Sydney and I think he must have taken seriously my statement to him by email somewhere that I've been trying to redeem my father you know, all my life, because I don't think he got a fair go. 
when he was, I claim, expelled from Glasgow by his mother. So the redemption of the father, I think um, that's a word that we don't use much these days, but I did see it, did I not, on Q&A the other night. It was mentioned, I think it was mentioned by somebody, the word redemption, as though it was time it was reintroduced into our into our conversations that otherwise we're going to do what I suspect the reptilian part of the human brain says we ought to do which is to flog and hang everybody who disagrees with us he was somebody who was alcoholic and violent talented and talented very talented so tell me tell me about how you've managed to find the goodness in a man who didn't treat you oh, as we would hope fathers would treat Well, he was children. away. You see, he was a sailor. So, I mean, I forgive him for, for a lot because uh, post-trauma stress disorder, being away from where, uh, from placeness, not just homeless, but actually placeless, I think is the great terror that's uh, stalking the human race just now, you see. Uh, we don't realise, or we're not. We, we may realise, but we're not prepared to go um, to pains to make sure that every member of the human race has a place. So we let them run all over the globe. We chase them, in fact, all over the globe, anywhere as long as they don't lob next to us. Uh, now, my daddy was probably in that. She she said to him, "Look, we're trying to run a decent new dynasty of Maguires." having fled from the potato famine probably in Ireland in the 1800s, having landed in um, Glasgow, uh, maybe late 1800s, um, and she wants um, a new start. Now, we've heard of that before, haven't we? New start. She even changed the spelling of the name from MCG to MAG so that when she opened her tobacco shop, and put the name on the window, the Protestants wouldn't stay away. See, because I remember the old man talking about this, and I thought, but I thought he's talking crap. Um, going down to the city to fight the Orangemen, and I couldn't work out. I said, "What is he going down to fight the fruit man?" You know what I mean? I never heard of the bloody Orangemen, and yet that was that was the uh, the what uh, the, the ethos. Mm. at that time and she changed the spelling from MCG otherwise I could claim a relationship with with, uh, with Eddie Maguire you see I might do well out of uh, that connection but I can't final Collingwood coming see together see what I mean so M-A-G she said now Jimmy Maguire my daddy I think probably by then has already been to World War One as a sailor I don't know whether he came back as a drunk, as well as being ex-sailor, but for one reason or another, she detected he was playing the piano down the street, apparently, in the in in the suburb of of Glasgow. I think he was playing the piano and accepting uh, drinks as uh, tips. Mm. So. 
culpably or not, he got to the stage where he was the black sheep. And she was looking into the future and she saw Robert, my namesake, who was her other son and the others, uh, all doing well. And she couldn't see that Jimmy Maguire would do any good for the family. So um, she told him, there's no place here for you. And uh, he was uh, off to Australia, uh, Station Pier just down the road, which is why I hang around here. See, I can't say to the Archbishop, by the way, don't send me away, I've got nowhere else to go, <laughs> like in the movie. You see what I mean? An officer and a gentleman. You can't do that, sir. Why? Because I haven't got anywhere else to go. Because this is the place, you see. Um, so he landed there in 1923 or something. The mother arrived in 1923 also. Now, whether he was already in love with her and whether that was one of the reasons why mother, grandmother, my grandmother, wasn't keen on him because I think he may have been going to marry beneath his station, as they used to say. So one thing led to another, and both of them are here, station pier, and um, the, the rest is history. You're sitting there on that side of the desk, and I'm on this side of the desk, and here we are. Um, I sit down there at Williamstown on um, our uh, ex-socialist, no, our ex-premier's esplanade, Nick Brax, isn't it? Steve. Steve, Nixie's son, I think. Indeed. You can look across the bay and I see the ships uh, facing into the wind in the distance and you see an occasional... Sh and I think to myself, well, it reminds me of the fact that, you know, the daddy, James, was part of that um, extraordinary ancient culture, you know, and may there be no moaning at the bar when I put out to sea. Who said that? Oh, you've got me now. I don't know who that was. Walter Scott, no, I don't know who that was. Um, but that whole business of the sea and the whole business of hazards at sea and the whole business of making, what, the best out of stormy uh, conditions, they're all lined up out there, they're all anchored, and they all mysteriously change directions depending on whether the wind is coming at them or whether the wind is... Ch see? So I suspected my daddy's what? The culture of the seafarer, which is why I was pleased to accept honorary life membership of the MUA. You see? MUA, am I making that up? Not at all. The Maritime Union. Union of Australia. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Um... So he was at he was at sea as a, as a as a member of the, Her Majesty's Navy, World War One, and he was at sea in the thir in the forties as a member of the uh, of the um, often dishonoured um, merchant uh, merchant sailor he was merchant because they were often treated badly in public because. They weren't in uniform. 
You went through a lot of uh, storms yourself as a child. You yeah. lost your sister, sister Kathleen to tuberculosis when oh, you were poor 11. Oh, Kathleen, God love your her. Mother at, uh, well, your, your father well, when you were 11, your mother when you were 15. I was thinking last night, I think mine were gone by the time. I was trying to work it out last night, actually, at the age of 83. Because um, I was thinking about kids around here and I see and I'm thinking, yeah, I suppose... The need for what parents or a parent or whatever, um, mine were all gone by the time I was about 14. The sister was gone with TB. The father was gone, certainly Jim, with uh, lung cancer. In fact, I might be an accessory uh, after the fact or something. Because we used to visit him in the Alfred Hospital. Cancer. I don't know if they had specific cancer wards, but he was in there. And we used to uh, roll cigarettes. And he'd be smoking. And what the... It's outrageous, isn't it? But in those days, the culture would have been, well, if you're that bad off, at least give them... Have comfort, mm. you know. Uh, assisted dying. <laughs> You know, at least, uh, if not physically, at least some comfort while you were dying. So poor old Jim went, and uh, then uh, the mother was the last one standing, and uh, she left. And they were all, I think they were, I think they were barely 60. I think so. Mm. I've got to be careful with the timeline. You see what I mean? They were gone in the... In the 40s, I've got to be careful with the timeline because he had to be of age to be in the Royal Navy by 1914, hadn't he? In fact, I've got a book here, look. I picked this up the other day because a nice man's from Scotland. Oliver Twist. Yeah, he's a nice book here. And inside is St Mungo's Academy, Glasgow. Prize for paraphrasing Master Jazz Maguire, first class, uh, something, Christmas 1897. See, the timeline I've got to be careful of. And I was thinking the other day when this, I, I looked at that and I said, oh, he was good at paraphrasing. And that might be where I got my interest in Twitter. 120. So I wasn't very impressed when Mr Twitter said, I think I'll extend it to 280. So this is part of the, the redemption of your father? I would sense, think... Finding that well, those I like the idea we're all in this together. It's a never-ending story and... People are startled someone to say, listen, I don't know much about my... I said, well, you've got to go and find out, you see, because where do you think you came from? You think you were kind of, uh, what, instant, pour water and, you know, on the, and you'll end up with... No, you don't. It's taken generations, generations. Are there lessons for that in others who are looking to forgive or redeem those who've hurt them? I think you've... Well, it, there's a saying, and I don't know where it came from. I could be making it up, or it could come from Bluey and Curly or somewhere. The wise ones, you know. Um, 
To know all is to forgive all. And we make up our minds on the last sound bite or we make up our minds on how the person, you know all about this, responded to a doorstop interview, you know. And I'm looking at people now on, uh, say, the morning news, television, and I'm thinking, God, how in the name of God did she or he manage to sit in front of that camera and to say anything, you see, and you have to keep talking, therefore you run the enormous risk of putting your foot in your mouth at 7 o'clock in the morning. See, it's, it, it's a very risky business because we've got two ears and one mouth. And I think we've lost the art, you see, because we talk too much and we listen too little. If we listened closely enough, we would find reasons. The Americans are beating around the bush uh, about this latest Las Vegas uh, shooting. They want immediate answers. Why did he do it? And they want it now. He's only just finished his shooting and he's dead himself and their poor buggers are all dead and wounded and a reporter wants to tell us immediately why did he do it. I said, you're never going to find out why you do it until you do the research into where did he come from, who is his daddy was a bandit apparently. But that's only a little, that's only a soundbite. We've got to find out the whole story, see, as you do in any of these... The same around here, Port Melbourne, South Melbourne, um, as a neighbourhood. That's what I'm hanging around for because I want to find out the history of the place. Did the Aboriginal people not cross the land bridge and land in what's now Fisherman's Bend? See, so I want a spiritual connection with the original owners or our first peoples. And then I want to know about the uh, even Mike Brady, who sings songs and things. He was part of the migration and the migrants who lived in the migrant hostel down in Fisherman's Bend. See? Station Pier is the place where we all arrived. Mm. See? Uh, Station Pier is the place where uh, the Minister for Immigration, uh, it shows his redemption and conversion. Arthur Corwell, who said, keep them all out one day. The next day he was converted and saved. And he said, let them all in. See, even, even the Maltese who he'd sent off to God knows where, New Caledonia or somewhere. Um, no, nah, he said, I'm wrong. Let them all in. And we're what we are today because of that change in migrant policy. You see what I mean? So that place down there, South Melbourne, Port Melbourne, and the working class, you see, um, brazenly working class. In fact, I heard a story about um, two or three brothers, say, from one family down in Port Melbourne, uh, come to one of their local pubs on the way home from work in overalls. All right. Saturday, they turned up at the same pub in suits. See? In other words, there's more to us than just being overalls. You're a 
great champion of South Melbourne. Well, I like uh, South Melbourne, Port Melbourne. When you you entered the priesthood a few years yeah. after you became became an orphan and you had your period as an army chaplain, yes. but then you Good took times over. the army chaplain. I'm going up there today because I'm going to uh, Marupna. And I'm passing through Seymour, and I remember the uh, I had a conversion in Seymour because I was there as a priest, an assistant priest, and I thought, oh, and the word came, the chaplain at Puckapunyal next door is sick. He can't do his job as a character training instructor, which the chaplains were in those days, not just being religious but being philosophers instructors because we'd settle for not religion as a way of getting young men 20 years of age through the war but we settled for the Greek philosophy strangely enough yeah character training so that put me in the army for four years were there particular things that you did in inculcating character training that you well I just followed the course because I'm a great believer in taking what you have given to you and using it. You see what I mean? Um, oh, no, I can't go on today. I remember one of the the occasions when, uh, God, they were hard days. We were, in, we were in corrugated iron huts. I can see it now. Full of 20-year-olds. All smoking in those days, you see? And here we are, and here we are, the first session, uh, gentlemen, is on the meaning of life. See? And for the purposes of this lesson, uh, gentlemen, we will run over a few basic points, but we will then divide up into discussion groups. And the discussion group will concentrate on, if we were on a desert island, what steps would we take to, to survive slash flourish and uh, we will come back and have that open discussion and you found out that in fact you didn't even have to make it up because everybody came back and said the first thing we would do is to appoint a leader and the next thing we would do is this and the next thing hello and it all came out of thinking mm. see which I'm a great believer in. Any religion that doesn't let people think is no religion at all. You see what I mean? Um, and that's going to be part of the ongoing public conversation about assisted dying, uh, abortion, uh, equality of marriage, and more, much more. You see, because we're going to have to make decisions, are we not, about... Um, Who's to go and who's to stay? See? Um, that'll probably be the thought police. <laughs> who's to go and who's to stay? Can we afford all these old people in retirement villages? Lots of moral dilemmas are waiting for us. And sadly, well, what am I saying sadly? Rightly or wrongly, there's hardly any moral... Well, there's no moral regulators. Everybody expects there to be regulators of, uh, of, of the economy. Uh, but the moral regulators, the churches, have behaved so badly 
that, thank God, we weren't set upon and, you know, murdered or executed or something. They just ignored us, which the Aussies are good at. You know what I mean? And consequently, I'm very, uh, very unhappy that, in fact, uh, we haven't got uh, uh, the wisdom, the accumulated wisdom of the Jewish, Christian, uh, Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, Confucian package, you see, uh, which has taken about, I don't know what it is, about 5,000 years to, 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 to gather... And that should have stood us in good stead, you see. But because we are now drifting into what? The era of the um, interconnected loners. Okay, we're all connected by AI, artificial intelligence. We're all going to be interconnected, but we're going to have so much information crammed into us and at our fingertips but we're going to have so little wisdom to handle it. So how, how do we get those wise conversations in an Australia where, although 70% of us say we believe in uh, some form of higher being, yeah. only 16% of us attend a religious service yeah. monthly or, or more often, yes. where do those conversations about wisdom come from, which formally came from, from religion? For most Australians. Well, it's hard to know, you see. I'm staying in the business. I'm trying to... Oh, I don't know if I'll get around to it, but I'm trying to... What? I've registered the name Parish Without Borders. And then I'll work from that, you see, and see if I can... What? What do you do? We've got somebody here who's designing an app. So Parish Without Borders, people, you can... What do you have to do? Do you have to buy it or is it free, this app? Because I see them all out in the street there. They've got apps that tell them the way to the lavatory, apps that tell them the way over the pedestrian crossing. Why can't I have an app that says, look, boys and girls, we may be interconnected loners, but you don't have to be lonely. So what messages... See, the me you... message of, your reli of religion, pure and undefiled, whatever brand it is, is common sense and compassion, you see? In fact, I've got an algorithm that says, what is it? Five C's. Care, communication, concern, compassion and common sense. If you put all of that in place, we will all live happily ever after. Except there's a six C wandering around out there, which is control. Is living a good life really that simple? You're almost... Oh, I would think so. You're almost dismissing the sort of challenges of modern philosophy, oh, no, which, which wrestle with many of the sort of. So it would say that living a good life can be a deeply difficult thing to do. Um, you make it sound almost of hallmark, hallmark card simplicity. Well, we're born with all the, the with with the in, with the inbuilt application, the app, you see, because we're born with common sense and compassion. It has to be what trained out of us, you see, and we notice that with, with, with natural disasters. There's a nice book I've got down there that's called A Paradise Built in Hell, and it goes on quite fascinatingly considering all the tragedies that have happened since I opened the bloody book, for God's sake, where it says, hey, listen, you'll notice that whatever disaster it is, the Blitz in London, uh, the San Francisco earthquake, 
Now it would be the shootings in Las Vegas, uh, the hurricane, whatever it is. He said, you will notice that the first responders are not in uniform. The first responders are ordinary people living next to you or the car that was driving through the neighbourhood stops and a stranger gets out. Hello? Now, this flies in the face of the preferred panic-driven fear of the elites who are terrified that every time there's a natural disaster, ordinary people will set upon them, the elites, and rob them of whatever. And they say more or less, my God, the bloke who helped me was that thug I, the bikey, uh, the dark person, the person that I had thought was a natural uh, enemy. That's the bloke who came and helped me. And you get the stories all the time. I find it quite fascinating when watching the American television. Um, shock. My God, what? Most of the work done on the scene of that disaster was by random strangers. Mm. Oh, I thought the ready responders were all in uniforms because Mr President and Mr Mayor and Mr would love to say first and foremost or surround himself with uniforms for a start and flags and then say, I would like to thank those, what? They did their duty. But it's all the anonymous crowd that in fact the strangers accumulated were our salvation. Now that's, why, that's the way we have to go. In fact, people are saying it's fascinating. Not only do they help one another, but they get a thing that they never experienced before in their community lives. They got a sense of joy. Not only did they get the job done, but they enjoyed it. And then they said to themselves, why can't we have this without the disaster? Hence, enter from left stage... Um, the thing that so many ordinary people have that the wealthy would kill for, and maybe do kill for, I don't know, and that is resilience and bravery. They think they have to pay for it, to learn it, to go away into a retreat and do a course about it. Housing ministry around South Melbourne, Port Melbourne, the most densely populated housing ministry colony in Melbourne, everybody who wakes up in the morning in these housing ministry estates wakes up with their little um, pack, A, resilience, two, compassion, common sense. Is that part of what you were trying to build as a as a priest? Yes. You've spoken about the two cities yeah. uh, model that you that you had. Was yeah. it part not just about helping the underprivileged, but also the giving the more affluent a yes. sense of purpose? That's in what life. we're going to do down in Fisherman's Bend. If I can ever get around to it, is my what do you call it? This lovely thing here, which he now shows. Um, let's see what it's called. The Father Bob Community Hub. You see. And it's got a philosophy behind it now because we've been around for 40 years, see? So it's got to be... It's, it's, it's ruthlessly rational. Uh, and, and I accept the fact that you can't, in fact, be assertively compassionate 
without being ruthlessly rational. That's why I'm quite, I feel, what, proud when people say, would you like to explain to us? Like in Marupna, I'm going up there to the service clubs, for God's sake. They should have nothing to learn, see, because they're doing it already. But in fact, we've got to be careful we don't miss the next generational leap when in fact it, we mightn't get away with the traditional service club reaction to what? Local need. We might have to make a, 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 a space leap, you see, and go further and that is what? Uh, just say we don't treat one another in Marupna as being um, different classes, different castes. Uh, different parts of the town, the rich live down there and the poor live over. No, we're going to have to create uh, what the Aboriginal people created, which is a corroboree area. When we all come together, and especially we come together when we have differing opinions on what should be happening, you know, for good, you see, and we will thrash that out. They're doing one up there, apparently. I saw it on the telly up near your art centre in Melbourne, around the back somewhere, they've now developed an architectural thing um, which is getting awards. It's an open forum, for God's sake. The Greeks. The Greeks said, look, boys and girls, I know we got beaten by the bloody Persians. I know we did, they said, and we're saying the best way to get over this or get through it We'll all come together and we'll thrash it all out and we will have even someone play the part of the enemy to see their point of view and we will go through what you now know to be the classic stages of whatever rehabilitation, including, uh, what do you call them, a catharsis. See, you'll have to go through the catharsis. Don't interrupt it too soon. And you'll have to go through metanoia, which means a change of attitude, because you're not going anywhere unless you change your attitude. And then finally, the jackpot, which appeals to Aussies, euphoria, the feeling of well-being. But you can't have that, comrade, the algorithm, the Greek algorithm, without that and that and that. You have a dizzying array of interests and your mind moves very quickly from the specific to the general. As a priest, how do you manage to stay present for individuals working through crisis situations when there's so much else going on in your life? My life or their life? Well, your life. I mean, I, oh, well, I I'm see always him. struck by the, the, the importance of a priest not just giving a, a sermon yeah. to a large group of people, but being there to take confession, to, to engage yeah, pastoral people more. care. The pastoral care. How do you, how do you manage to, start, to be there, to be present and completely focused for a parishioner in need yeah. when your mind is abuzz with a thousand things? Well, because you've got to, you, you, you've got to focus. You see, the real presence of God is the next person you meet. See what I mean? Um, all the other places, you see, your church buildings, your ashrams, your mosques, your synagogues, should all, they're going to have to be parked in the garage for a while and be tuned up, preferably by secularists, you see, so they come out of some earthly use, you see, otherwise they've been wallowing 
in a hole, God knows how long, of otherworldly use. Well, guess what, folks? What? This is the end of the world as we know it. You see, we've had our two, three hundred years of enlightenment and all that stuff. It's gone. You see, we're now, we're now, we're now in, in stormy waters and we're going to have to have a, a, a real-life uh, assistance we need and that's where your religions could come into their own again if they change from being uh, comfort stations into being pit stops. You see, now that's... I can imagine what that should be, what the Roman Catholic Church, of which I'm a card-carrying member, um, if they want to repent of the sins of, of, the, of their clergy, they should do so, practically speaking, by turning each Roman Catholic parish in Australia into a pit stop, not just a comfort station for a few people to go and uh, sing glory to God in the highest, but pit stops where you give glory to God in the lowest. See? So it means your church becomes the heart of the neighbourhood, which is what we were doing up there for 35 years, up at St Peter's and Paul's. Now we're left at, we've taken six years, I think it is, to try to duplicate, replicate, whatever, what we were doing there, which were meant the rich and the poor both shared that precinct. See? Uh, and no one had more right to the place than anybody else. Now, that got up the nose of the, um, I presume, of the Roman Catholic elite. Only a few of them. But they said, excuse me, this place really should be a, a nice place. You see? And one of the uh, reasons you clashed over Melbourne Archbishop yeah. at the time, Dennis Hart, was over the sale of church property to support, oh, that was silly. support the poor, wasn't it? And he knew it was silly. Uh, you see, he eventually ran out. He talked too much for a start, and then he had to back off as he went, the same as we're doing now with the Royal Commission, you see. But poor Dennis had to find some reason. Excuse me, Your Grace, yes. Why does Bob Maguire have to go? Ah, oh, because he's 75. Oh. But there's, that's not necessary. It, it depends on how you treat his letter of, of resignation. Oh, well, he also had trouble tr managing church property. Oh, hello, is, an, is another reason. Uh, and then, uh, Father Maguire, did you have... No, 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 no. Whatever we did, we did with the approval. I just dug out some letters the other day because I must have a file down <laughs> there that says... What's it labelled? Um, an explanation of... Oh, the great philosopher wrote, wrote his title. The Apologia Pro Vita Mea. <laughs> See, now apologia doesn't mean I'm apologising. Apologia means I'm explaining. Mm. Now, here's the explanation. What? Church number something or other down in... I passed it yesterday. Park Street, South Melbourne. Yes, he sold that, of course. And hello... Let's go back to no all is to forgive all. Uh, the place was falling down. I asked you for money to fix it. You said no. I said, well, what do you want me to do? They said, well, I, I said, I can't find the money to fix it. Uh, well, then you'll have to sell it. Oh, I don't want to sell it. I want to... No, sorry, you can't have it. All right, we sold it. 20 years later, up pops the furphy. 
what? He sold the church. To, oh, my God. And he gave, gave the money to the poor. This went on and on and on. It didn't go on for the first 30 years, it, mainly. It went on for the last eight, mm. you see, when they had to find a reason to get me out because it was an embarrassment mm. to them, a parish choosing to be... At the, and we left them with, 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 with truckloads of money because we managed, thank God, to use a tiny part of the parish property, which was tiny anyway, 0.9 of an acre, the whole lot. A little bit in the corner, 42 units of community housing. Thank you to the state government. Thank you to South Melbourne uh, Community Housing um, group who partnered with us and the state government said we will give you the money to pay the lease for 90 years. Now we left them with truckloads of goddamn money. And I told him that, I told him that early days. I said, listen, don't panic. Right? We might be $200,000 in overdraft, but leave it to me because we're going to do things that will produce enough money not only to pay off the overdraft but enough money to the parish will be able to continue its what creative and innovative work you see not just sustainable your grace not just viable but sustainable it sounds as though uh, at least given that uh, that you were uh, work, working under Pope John Paul II and uh, Benedict XVI, uh, that you were uh, thinking far more often, what would Jesus do rather than... Yeah, what the or Pope what do? was the previous Pope, the one who started this all when I was first commissioned, John Twenty-Third, who said, let's have a Vatican II. And we are, because we are, we are dying here inside the ramparts of our garrison church. We should throw the doors and the windows open and let the fresh air in. In fact, we should go out through the doors and join the others of goodwill. See, that was the choice then in the 60s. Why don't we team up with anybody of goodwill, anybody doing good for the right reasons? See, whether it's a political party whether it's you don't have to join them, but I mean, in fact, you 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 form, you form, you do what the Aussies are, 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 are best at. Uh, you form a hybrid. Mm. You see what I mean? A bit of this and a bit of that. See what I mean? So that's that's in fact what that's what I'm hoping will be the 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 flower that will bloom in the spring. Will be that example would I think the the public of Australia would, would learn to what? Forgive, if not forget, uh, our sins, you see. That's what I'm hoping for. That's redemption, not only for my daddy, but for my mother's church, you see. And this is your notion of a lay-led church, yeah. which goes significantly further than, than Pope Francis's uh, reforms to the Oh, church. yeah, but he can only do as much, you know. I mean, he's 70-something, isn't he? He's an old-timer, and he's a devotional Catholic at heart, you see. But he's got the, uh, what do you call it, the um, common sense and uh, um, uh, um, 
common sense and concern, compassion, which drives everything. The rest is what? The rest is a commentary. Now, if he loves the statue of Our Lady, which he does, under the title of Untie the Knots, Mother of God, what's all this about? Well, it's only virtual reality, for God's sake. You know, I mean, why can't we have things? So you put the goggles on and you're seeing yourself, what, swimming with sharks? Well, he's got a statue there who's uh, titled Our Lady of Untying the Knots. We'll have a look at it and say, oh, I know, I should be helping to untie the knots. I'll pray to her to untie the knots. He who prays has to do what he's praying for. Like the boxer in the ring, isn't it? He makes the sign of the cross before he boxes, isn't it? Someone says, does that help? He said, not if he can't box. (laughs) Isn't it? So you go to your parliament and they say all those in favour of the uh, Lord's Prayer before proceedings. And people say, no, you don't need for that. I'm saying, well, what's the use of that anyway in Parliament House? If you want to say, our Father, hello, forgive us our sins, we give us this day our daily bread, it's all good stuff. But if you can't actually achieve any of it, why say the prayer? That's when religion becomes a bit, what's the word, um, otherworldly. See? Make it... If you see the Aussies at their best under the sign of the Southern Cross, as a religious, uh, allegedly we went off like a bottle of stale milk when Constantine, the emperor, saw the cross in the sky and said, in this sign, conquer. See? And from then on we were buggered because, in fact, we took it seriously that you can use the cross as a sword. See? Now, the Aussies have got a sign of their own which is probably Bunjil, the Aboriginal uh, other being. Mm. Um, and that cross should be seen as the sign of self-sacrifice. See? It's not just a sword. Self-sacrifice, see? And Aussies should be self-sacrificial. See? But they're nervous that if they put themselves second, uh, they won't do well. Whereas the algorithm is saying... That plus that plus that, including your self, will produce community. Oh, well, can't we have community without self? No, sorry. You can have something else, you see. You can have Elysium where the rich and powerful live, the one percenters, live happily ever after. But you see, the rest of us won't be able to... We don't want bloody Elysium. We want a paradise built in hell. You see, because as you know, um, politics is the art of the possible, isn't it? Now, that'll do, but in fact, these days you are on the verge of needing the impossible or what has been taken for granted as being impossible. Um, We should be able to say to Mr Toyota, do not close that thing, or if you do, please... We will acknowledge that you have made so much money out of that thing, that uh, factory, and good luck to you. But now, this is now our factory. And we are now going to use it for the local community, you see, as their 
deity said, what's his name? Uh, uh, Wealth of Nations. Adam Smith. Yeah, Adam Smith said to him, owners and shareholders, don't put yourselves first. Put the workers first. And I'm saying now, no, not only the workers, but this, put the community, which has suffered 50 years or 60 years of this factory being such a feature, you see, uh, all businesses ought to invest. That's the CSR thing, isn't it? Corporate social responsibility, which is a winner. You're keenly aware of so much suffering and so many challenges yeah. in your own life and uh, an orphan at a young age you've yeah. worked with street street kids yeah. uh, we lost so 80 in the we lost 40 in the 80s around here 20 year olds how in the face of such a strong awareness of yeah. so much suffering do you maintain a daily sense of gratitude ah oh, nature is the reminder i think I tell me more about that well, nature is the reminder that, you know, you burn the place down and then tomorrow the first sign of regrowth happens. Or even while you're watching the ashes, it pops up out of the ashes. You know what I mean? I think Gallipoli is the same. It's not the celebration of victory. It's the celebration of what, how, to, um, uh, how, to, how to make the best out of a bad thing. You see what I mean? Um, and, I'm, you know, I believe, and I, I think people accept, don't they, uh, all the what the heroes who or all, all all the people that came back from wars, all the people that come through bushfires, floods, all of that, uh, you get down to the two medals they're wearing. One is resilience, and one is bravery, uh, and that we're born with, you see. And um, I suppose what I inherited that, I think the Scottish inheritance. We've even got a coat of arms or something else. Look on the other day at this thing here, look. There he is, a knight on a white horse or something. Um, uh, the, the, the motto is something about justice and fortitude are invincible. See? Now, if you know that, it's no good mucking around. You see, it's the same with the Aussie. Who was it? Was it Woodfull in the cricket in the in the Test match against Jardine and Larwood? Ah, the one who's struck in bent out like that. He was. Yes. See what what can you do? He wants to bowl body line. Well, what are you going to do? Walk off the field? No, you don't. Just stay at the wicket. You see, and the ball will come when you can belt the shit out of it over the. See? But you've got to stay there, isn't it? Now, that's what I'm saying, you know, I mean, whatever about fortitude and, and bravery are invincible. I believe that. Um, but once again, it almost sneaks back again to Greek philosophy. Almost sneaks back again, you know, uh, that that will come out of thinking your way through. Now, our problem is, and I, I noticed a discussion about artificial intelligence says, look, you pile all that stuff, information, into that computer about cats. The woman said the other night on, on the Q&A. The thing will eventually get the idea of 
what a cat is. But it's limited. It doesn't know the difference between a cat and a dog or why cats don't get on well with dogs. It's limited. See what I mean? And you can feed all the pictures in the world about cats into the thing and it still will absorb all the information but it still can't quite... Well, it certainly can't express any emotions about cats. See what I mean? Now, that's, how, that's what I'm hoping because I've got a horrible feeling that uh, one of the great, what, plagues that is about to descend on us, it's already showing signs, is um, emotional uh, deficit that we don't see. And God bless them, everybody walking around with uh, mobile phones and all the rest of it, texting and everything else. What's missing is the feelings because those apps can't do feelings. You see what I mean? So if you text, somebody texts you, Andrew, happy birthday. Well, you'll say, oh, that was nice, they remembered me. But it's not as nice as if they pick the phone and talk to you on the phone if they can find you and talk to you. Hello, it's... Hello. What 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 value added was that? The human voice. You see? Ah, oh, but we've got Siri. See? So she can tell you, Hello. Is there anything else I can do for you? She doesn't give a rat. Huh? Isn't it? The same as the thing on the, what do you call it, the dashboard. It's it's interesting to me to to hear you move so seamlessly from a yeah. question about how you see the glass half full to, to yeah. talk about the gla- glass half empty. You're well, that's where your Jesus comes in aware too. You see, your Jesus comes in as <coughs> the divine app. Once you've got your Jesus, you've got all you need to know about God. You see? Warts and all, which is therefore obviously uh, contentious amongst uh, clerics because they don't like the idea of a flawed God, you see. What advice would you give to your teenage self? Ooh. Oh, I suppose... I suppose what Weary Dunlop's thing, I wouldn't have known then, would I? Put others first. I think that, I think it's the most what daunting uh, piece of advice that your Jesus did is to put others first, including even the enemy. You see what I mean? Say so you've got Sandy Hook, haven't you? The man shoots the children. The mothers of the shot children go to the, don't they? To the widow of the shooter and say, we would like you to come to our children's funeral. Oh, but no, don't worry about that. We will be there with you. See? Catharsis. See? And then we would like to attend your husband's funeral. 
Hello. True. Got to throw in a thing or, or, or yell and snap. But you see, but how, where'd that come from? See, that's, that's the ultimate. That's redemption. See? And that's the only way to go, you see. That's why I'm longing for the day. I don't think I'll see it with Peter Norton and with, what's his name, Burnside, and with others for the time when the Aussies will accept restorative justice as being far better than retributive justice, you see, because we're going through that stage of flogging them, build more prisons, do this, that and the other thing, uh, keep those naughty people who came here uh, by paying uh, smugglers. Punishment, punishment, punishment. Pun Where'd that come from? What do you think is the greatest mistake you've made in your career? Oh, I don't know. I don't concentrate much on... If somebody tells me I was wrong, I go over it. Because maybe they're wrong. About me being wrong. Like somebody said to me once, a nice, a very... And a very nice uh, nun, a woman religious, said to me, Bob, you sound as though you think you're infallible. And I said, no, 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 no. I'm not infallible at all. I'm just in charge. See? Now, the greatest mistake... Oh, I don't know if I can consider any of the mistakes. I think I consider them all to be opportunities. Is there something significant on which you've changed your mind? No, see, because I believe that I'm always learning. That's why I'm off to Marupna. They think I'm coming to give a speech to their uh, uh, service club dinner. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm going to learn. I found a thing on the telly from um, uh, from uh, Japan. Japan. It's called forest bathing, where you go, you're fully clothed, you go into the forest and you wander around in the forest and you absorb, what are they, essential oils, and you come out refreshed. Now, I reckon what I've been on about for 83 years probably is what I'm now experiencing overtly, which is crowd bathing. See, so I like to go out now, even to Marupna, or the other day I was down at a wedding in Far. What's what's it called? Port Arlington. Far. In the but see, I'm saying to myself, the refreshment of the mixing with the crowd. Now people say, oh, "You're just a bloody show off. You're performing." I said, "Oh well, I'm." I don't care what I'm doing. I mean, I'm contributing what I can contribute, but these people here have contributed more to me than I've contributed to them. You see, it's the natural instinct of what? It's in our nature to help the stranger. Um, and I think if you give a crowd the chance, it'll welcome you. I found that with uh, union people, for example. They say, come into town. We're going to protest against... I said, well, I can't bloody well go to town and protest like a... You know, but I don't mind coming to town because you're there. See? 
So another example of crap because it's a sense, you see. It's not an idea. See, that's the beauty, I think, of mixing with crowds, uh, like the Tigers the other day, see. Um, and the opposite, of course, with the Adelaide Crows, poor babies, you see that they're, they're experiencing too much of the catharsis and not enough euphoria. So that's what I'm saying. Um, the older I get, what? Uh, I'm having great fun with memories. I like all of that. And Dr Google helps a bit with that. When are you most happy? Happy. When I wake up. Why? Huh? Why? Well, it's number one on the bucket list. Is to wake up. Because if you don't wake up, well, then the rest is a waste of time. Um, when do I most enjoy myself, did you say? I asked when you were most happy, but uh, enjoy, oh, enjoy happy, yourself uh, happy, by all means. Happy. Yeah, well, no wife, child, lover or manager. Uh, you've got to have what? Well, once again, you see, I mean, this is why... Oh, there's an African saying which I went insane over last year. Ubuntu. Because uh, it's an African word that says, I am because you are. Now, I've decided, I think, that that's what I'll settle for. I am because you are. If it wasn't for you lot out there, I wouldn't be who I am today. So... What do you do? Do you gorge yourself on, you see, other people? Um, I keep telling my, that woman out at the desk there who's trying to protect me, I think, from things. I say to her, oh, she said, but it's far away, and it's far away. I said, oh, well, I mean, so what? See, let's go far away and, 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 and have an experience, you see, because you don't often get those opportunities, see? Um, if I was in a retirement village or something, or you know, I don't want. I've got things to do. You know, um, uh, and as long as I'm, I'm lucky because I only, I only got some neurological disorder that took me in my hands and my feet about five years ago. See, but the buggers came back. See, with immunoglobulin from plasma. So I'm, I'm grateful to have the opportunity at 83 to be able to walk around, talk. I can talk underwater, as you notice. Um, if I lost my ability to talk, I was thinking the other day, what happens if uh, a valve bursts or something? Well, you can then go and do what that man does in the wheelchair with the uh, artificial voice. You'd be the next Stephen Hawkins. Yeah, that fella, see? Or you can do, see, what Dr Google helps you to do anyway, or what you're doing, which is the podcast. See, I should be doing a podcast for the Parish Without Borders, um, but it would require discipline because I'd have to knock it into shape first before I, you know. Um, and I'd like to do, I told them the other day, when we have people dropping past, uh, street people, because we help older ones if they want five pounds for a cup of coffee or something. I said, we listen, we better put our... 
we better be fair dinkum with this because we I keep pre preaching that these people are all street philosophers. Well, we better start asking them their latest thought and put it on YouTube so the people will get used to, oh, out of that face and out of that mess, there comes the words of wisdom. See? So that's what I want to do next. Well, Father Bob, I... I think it's time to stop. I hope when I'm 83, I have half of your energy. You'll have uh, your more in, in, because energy. you've had more experiences. Uh, but uh, as, a, uh, as, as Australia's greatest exponent of lay church, uh, revolutionary oh, father, okay. thank you for joining us on the thank Good you. Life podcast today. And there's also somebody who's almost edged me out of that position. Ah, yes. Christina Canelli. See, she's starting to make a lot of sense about uh, proudly accepts she's a card-carrying Catholic and she's prepared to put the case for the lay-led church. Yes. Yeah, and she's getting whacked by it, by the, uh, by the, 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 the what, the conservative, the, not conservative, we're conservatives, for God's sake. The others are revisionists. Enough, because we'll keep, we'll be here for the rest of the day. <laughs> Enough it is. Thanks for the opportunity, comrade. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Good Life Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please tell your friends on social media or rate us on Apple Podcasts. You may also be interested to know that I've got a new book out, published by the Lowy Institute in Penguin. It's called Choosing Openness and makes a range of policy recommendations as to how we should deal with the rise in populism uh, and the questions that many are raising around globalisation. Of course, this isn't a podcast about politics or policy, so I won't mention the specific policy re recommendations. But it is worth mentioning that Choosing Openness also talks about how we practice politics and about the importance of dialing down the volume if we're to make sure that we have a sensible conversation about engagement with the world. I hope you check it out, and if you do, drop me an email and let me know what you think. Next week, we'll be back with another Good Life guest to discuss living a happier, healthier and more ethical life.